Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of dark video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Soap Dish. In Soap Dish, Celeste Talbert, played by Sally Field, is an award-winning, long-tenured, beloved actress on the soap opera The Sun Also Sets. Sick of the adulation, co-worker Montana Moorhead, played by Kathy Moriarty, conspires with producer David Barnes, played by Robert Downey Jr., to ruin Celeste's career and install Montana as the new lead. Screenplay by Robert Harling and Andrew Bergman, directed by Michael Hoffman, and released on May 31st, 1991. Now, I know that we've both seen this movie before together mm-hmm. within the past five years, you know, part of the pandemic movie nights that we used to have. I, but you've seen it before that too, right? Yeah, the, I watched this movie a lot growing up, like to the point where I have things memorized. Oh, okay. <laughs> also, I watched it because Robert Downey Jr. was in it. Sure. I, I only saw it the one time, um, renting it with the family growing up. I mean, I, I, I didn't mind it then. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly didn't hate it. Uh, now, like, I think it's just... I think it was, like, almost too soon to watch it again after we had seen it. Like, two years ago? <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you know... The, the jokes that were would have landed a couple years back because they were like fresh to me again mm-hmm. are now like old hat already so it was it was a little bit of a tougher watch this time around but i mean it's still overall enjoyable however before we get into the actual movie we should talk about the previews that were on the vhs that we watched yeah i mean this time we had a commercial that i tried to find this commercial on youtube but i couldn't We'll have to put a couple of screenshots on to the YouTube version of the podcast and then also on the website. But yeah, it's like a custom... Well, first we have two trailers for movies that... uh, Big name movies. One we will see, probably. (laughs) At some point we will cover Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I think that's the subtitle for it. That was the first trailer, which wasn't inspiring to see but you know mostly because watching we're... it just made me dread yeah. like i haven't even finished the first one it's making us dread watching the other five to get to six which is something that we both think we probably should do but we might not you'll find out when we actually cover it um and then the second trailer was naked gun two and a half which is our second episode i think right one of one of the first five episodes yes. for sure um so yeah that was a that was a throwback and then besides those two trailers was a commercial that seemed to be made just for this vhs because it was all about pre-owning going to your video store 
and asking them for a pre-owned copy of Soap Dish that you can buy and have for yourself. Right. And it <laughs> stars Leslie Jordan as, like, the blockbuster yeah, video. The, the like, generic video the generic, store employee. But it looked like a blockbuster. And then there's this couple that comes in uh, with their dog, and, and Leslie's like, no dogs allowed. He's like, no, it's okay. He does this all the time. Um, and they tell the dog to go get the copy of soap of dish. Soap dish, but this dog really wants to watch Pet Cemetery for some yes. reason. <laughs> like he, I, he wants a horror movie. Humans like watching movies about humans getting killed and stuff. So. Does he want to die and come back as an evil animal? Huh, but I'm just whatever, saying, you know, like <laughs> I was just people like, like, this like watching dog horror really movies, which doesn't see. make sense. So. Yeah. So it's just a whole thing where the dog just picks up Pet Cemetery and they're like, ha ha ha, no, go get Soap Dish. He does. They buy it. And then on the way out, they they make this whole joke about how the dog can also drive too. Well, also the dog tries to shoplift. Yeah, yeah. On his way. (laughs) Well, on his way out out, to get to the car. Like, coming through, it, it drops through his fur. It's yeah. really funny. After the alarm goes off, they, they stop, you know, the the owners stop the dog and he, the tape And the drops copy of Pet arm. Cemetery falls and they were like, he doesn't do this normally. <laughs> yeah. And then that's kind of like the end. Yeah, and then the... there's like the joke about him driving the car and Leslie's like, wait, he can drive? And the dad's like, not without these. And he pulls up the keys. It was a really it was weird, <laughs> it was a weird commercial. It was so strange, but, but it was like I was laughing. Yeah, it was good and it was like a minute plus, minute and a half long commercial which seemed to just be for pre-owned copies of this specific movie. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't you know, we've seen other like go to your video store and ask for, you know, these hits and it like lists a bunch yeah. of titles. This was like just soap dish. <laughs> yeah. And I guess Pet Cemetery, if you want to count it that way, but it's so weird to have such a focused ad with that high production. Yeah, I, tr- I don't know how to search for it, but I tried to search on YouTube for this. Like, I did Leslie Jordan video rental commercial, but Leslie Jordan has been in a lot of random stuff and commercials. Yeah. So I don't know. It's probably not on YouTube at all. But if I can do find a better search term for, for it, then maybe I'll find it, or we can just yeah. Worst case scenario, this might website. be months down the line. Maybe I can rip it and put it on YouTube myself. If I... anyway, onto the movie, the, onto our feature attraction. Uh, we get another somewhat animated credit sequence. Not really. It's like the bubbles. It's like, it's, uh, it's it's very lightly animated. It's mostly like stills, a little bit of motion, but it's like fifties illustration style. It's like pop mm-hmm. up or like pin up doll, pop up not pop up dolls, like, yeah, like Barbie. Yeah, like the the cutout doll type yeah, of yeah. style. Stuff from like the fifties, mm-hmm. sort of. It's cute. It, it's anything that's like beyond the normal, typical just text over like a city skyline. I'm in favor of. But it's you know it is what it is, uh, and then you get right into the the meat of it with the daytime TV awards are happening, and uh, Lisa Gibbons is 
on the red carpet interviewing all of the different cast of characters about what's going to happen that night and so on and so forth um and just kind of like leads into this idea that celeste is basically the susan lucci of this movie in that she's a long-running very popular actress who's been nominated a whole bunch of times i don't know if she had one yet no i think this was her first win at that yeah i think that's that sounds right started she had been nominated like a dozen times or something and now she finally gets her first win um and you know the promos for these like the clips uh, you mean the yeah the clips for when they show best actress are just really funny yeah and there's like there's one where they do show real soap opera actors and actresses like Fanola Hughes and whatever. I didn't know Fanola Hughes was a soap actress, honestly, just because I know her from Blossom. Oh, okay. Because she was like you know, the dad's girlfriend in yeah, Blossom. Yeah, yeah. That's all I. She knew started her to from. get into movies like in the eighties because she was in that dance movie. Uh, oh yeah, she was in like Staying Alive. Yeah. Which I. I think that either. was like her first. I don't. That was like in 1980. So that, that was, was like the first time, time I saw her. I always thought she was a movie actress, but then I saw that she, like looking her up, she was in soaps before getting into movies. A lot. Yeah, she was in 1600 episodes of General Hospital and then 120 episodes of All My Children as well, which is was news to me looking up her credits. Um,. But yeah, she has a little fake uh, sequence as a cameo as well. Um, Somewhere in there is Stephen Nichols as well. I don't know if he was part of the award show montage, if he was the presenter. I really don't remember. He plays himself, Stephen Nichols, who is a soap actor who was on Days of Our Lives for 1,600 episodes. He was in Young and the Restless for 250 episodes, General Hospital for 80 episodes. Uh, I think his character wears an eye patch in one of them. Like he's, you know, mm-hmm. like, so if, if you were around in that time, you recognize the guy with the eye patch. You didn't know his character's name. So he's in there somewhere in this movie. I just don't remember offhand. So there's a couple random. Yeah, it's people. I never watched. I'm not a daytime soap person. No, if I was home from school, I was not watching soap operas. I was watching game shows all day. Yeah, I was watching Price is Right. And then I don't know and what then else. Then I switched like USA Network had a whole <laughs> Music bunch of reruns videos. of like I was always... bumper stumpers and yeah. hot potato and whatnot. So that's what I would be watching. But I do know that I, you'll probably say this at the end, but it was produced by Aaron Spelling, who was like you know considered I don't want to say the king of, but just you know he's the well-known producer for all of these great. TV series, including, you know, like The Love Boat and Charlie's Angels. And I mostly know him because he produced my favorite, I guess, nighttime soap, which is Marlboro's Place. And then he went on to do, you know, he, he did, also better, did yeah, 90210. 90210, and then like Charmed and whatever. Yeah, he had a long <laughs> career. And this was his last movie that he worked on producing. Yeah, and you can kind of see. Aaron Spelling type drama. Yeah, I think from what, watching his TV shows, I guess. I mean, which I haven't. You know, even like Nine Hundred Two One Zero and Melrose Place when those were big, that was not something that I cared about. Like my neighbors would watch it, other friends at school would watch it, and I just 
you know, I just didn't participate in those conversations. But um, this movie is very much about the soap opera that happens behind the scenes of the actual soap opera. I mean, mm-hmm. like all the, the backstabbing and whatnot and trying to put it in... Uh, but meanwhile, I think it's like a farcical light, but yeah. it's... Um, but meanwhile, yeah. their life is like a soap opera. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. There, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of stuff that if it were put onto TV, you would assume that they were soap opera you know, storylines, but it's they, they try to play it straight as much as possible. I think it's sort of... Uh, we have to mention Delirious, which is the other 1991 movie that involves soap operas mm-hmm. that we watched before where John Candy goes into like a coma or whatever it is and gets transported into his own soap opera that he writes. That is much more over the top. That is very, it's like a parody of a lot of the situations because he writes situations where, you know, he manifests things and, and, you know, there's like assassins and all these different, and like, I, eye patches and and people who are like trying to murder and, and, disease cures and whatnot mm-hmm. that's all happening this is much more subdued in the subject matter so that it could be realistic for the most part yeah but it is still kind of like so storylines that, that do happen in soap operas now yeah where it's like people who have died but like 20 years later they'll bring on a character and they'll just be like yeah they they actually lived right yeah that was one of the things with uh so kevin klein is brought into the the whole situation (laughs) he is the ex-boyfriend of celeste uh his character is um jeffrey anderson he's doing dinner theater in miami i think or florida somewhere and he's brought in by the producers to kind of agitate celeste and you know try to rile her up but his character on the show had been decapitated. Yeah. <laughs> so the the question was, well, how do they do that? And, and you know, they had just make something up on, on the floor. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just making fun of soap operas since soap operas were created. And I kind of wish that there was a little bit more of the actual soap opera shown in Than the their real life? I don't know. I don't know if instead, but maybe in addition to... Because there's really not a whole lot of the actual show that you see. There's like the clip in the award segment. There's maybe a couple minutes here and there where they're doing like pieces of scenes, but then it goes off the rails when someone like messes up their lines or something else happens off camera to disrupt the the filming. And so Mm -hmm. you don't really get a sense of what the soap opera is at all, um, nor like how it could possibly relate or balance with their real life yeah so it's it's tough to understand when someone is play acting versus acting acting because we don't see enough of the acting acting mm-hmm. right um i think that really hurts kathy moriarty's character montana moorhead because nurse nan who she plays on the show is you know they, they're trying to like install her as like the the lead she wants to be like the she face of the show the star but we don't see anything of her character in the show because there's not much of the show right. so it's tough for us to understand like should like maybe we should be rooting for her like or you know like how is she gonna do this like how does her character actually fit into the plot lines none of that's there 
Yeah, she. So it kind of just starts off with Montana going to David, who's the producer of the show of The Sun Also Sets. And she's kind of, you know, they have this relationship where she's kind of seducing him. Like, I will sleep with you because he's oddly extremely attracted to her. And um, she's like, I will sleep with you if you just, you know, make me a star. I want to be the star. And then let's get rid of Celeste. Let's make her, let's like trash her and get her off the show, basically. So they're coming up with all these different plot changes but I mean along the way it's just not working in Montana's favor and it's like the first thing that they want to do is they want Celeste to like accidentally kill a deaf mute homeless person right because that would make her character seem like a horrible character yeah Celeste or Maggie, her her character. <laughs> so Sally oh, yeah, yeah, her Field. Her character is Maggie. We keep her, saying Celeste, but her, that's yeah. Her. So There's Sally three Field people, is right? Celeste the, the actress, playing Maggie yeah. on the show. The sun also sets. Yeah. So they want to make Maggie out because you know Maggie in Sun Also Sets is like the good girl, like the beautiful girl next door that everyone. Yeah, the America's sweetheart. I think is how they specifically yeah. reference her. Right. And they kind of want to make her be hated. So they're like, let's make her kill, like, someone. And they're like, what's, like, the most... They're trying to come up with something that is so over the top. Like, a deaf, mute, homeless... They're like, who would ever kill a deaf, mute, homeless person? Right. So, but... And (laughs) it starts off with that. And then you have that side story where we have... Lori, who is Elizabeth Shue, she is in the beginning. She wants to get on the show. We don't know that she's related to Celeste at all, which well, I thought was so weird. Like, why couldn't she call her aunt up and be like, hey, I want to be an actress like you? Why does she surprise her? That was... Uh... I think, again, just to kind of add drama to the movie is really the only reason you can think of. Or just because she knew that the answer would be no if she were to ask her Aunt Celeste. So she... Well, because then... Or that she would, like, blackball her from being on that show. But, like, why does she have to be on that show? Right. She can just be on any... If you want to be an actress, you can just move to New York and just start trying out for anything. Yeah. So why why that specific show? I don't know. Yeah. But she's like the Muriel Hemingway of this production in that she's like, you know, this girl off the street who mm-hmm. um, wants to make it big. and But she's more manipulative in, in yeah. this. Uh, so she's... So Lori just, I mean, she wants to get on the show, but she didn't, you know, sign up or anything to try out. So she dresses up as like a delivery person for balloons or whatever and she just gets into the casting studio by just kind of like shoving into the door and closing it behind her and not really like Carrie Fisher who is 
the casting director. Her name is Betsy. Mm-hmm. So Carrie Fisher is like, who the fuck are you, basically? And um, Lori, Elizabeth Shue, is like, I want to be on the show. And then Carrie's just like, everyone wants to be. Well, Betsy, I should say. Right. And, you know, she doesn't really try out. And that's when they get to the point where David calls up Betsy and says, we need a homeless person. Yeah, she's and like... Carrie in, Fisher in, slash Betsy, I should just say. Betsy had put her into, like, some random, like, homeless extras scene. Yeah, it's like, we need of, a homeless person, and you really want to be in the show, so whatever, you can start today. Yeah, you can just be a, a nameless extra who doesn't talk. Yeah. And then, you know, when they decide on the murder plot, they're scanning through the crowd to see who could be murdered, and, and Lori is the, you know... The person that's chosen. Yeah, and then... the, the pretty one that makes it more sympathetic on top of everything else. And they don't know her name at this point, so I don't know how they find out, but they end up going to where Lori is staying. I don't know if it's an apartment or if it's a hotel, but... I'm not sure. They go to her door, and it's Betsy, David, and then the, um... Who's that other guy? Is he just a writer? Oh, he's the director. Burton? Yeah, I guess so. The problem with this movie, in a way, <laughs> is that there's a, a very large cast, and a lot of them are superfluous. There's They're kind like, of just there. And, and like, you kind of learn. people, too. Yeah. Like, Carrie Fisher's character is really just there for that one scene. You don't need someone like Carrie Fisher for that. Even though I like her in that scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, Carrie Fisher is great in virtually like everything. everything that she does. And she because brings her fun flair to it the other thing that i really like is just that you know it's like this trope where so when we meet carrie fisher's character she's auditioning for like a waiter and this really hot guy comes in and who i think is also a soap actor yeah i think so i didn't write his name down he's in an i just know him as being he's in an episode of sex in the city okay I don't know his real name. He's totally he's had a good career. Okay. But I don't I don't remember his name and I didn't write he's it down. He's the friar that's in Sex and the City. That that's how we meet her. Like we don't even we just know that she's a casting director just by that scene. Mm-hmm. And that's it, like the only scene that she's really in. Yeah, but it's funny because then we see her when he leaves and when Lori just barges in. We see that Carrie's, like, pushing her dress down like they just slept with each other. Yeah, she's like doing she, casting couch stuff to the yeah, guys. Yeah, to that Because, like, when he's hot guy that, auditioning for the waiter job, he she's like, maybe the line would sound better if you had your shirt off. Yeah, right. and he takes his shirt off. So and it's kind of like, like I think he got the, the part. Um, flipping the, the roles a little bit, and that you always right. hear about the, the casting couch from, like from, a, from men taking advantage of women, and here's... Here's Carrie Fisher doing the opposite, or the same, yes. whatever. Um, but like, like that's her whole role, and that's that was it's, it. It's so Until strange you see to see her such a maybe big later name. on in the end. Yeah, she she exists in other scenes, but doesn't really have a role in them. I think it's also weird that like, honestly, like Whoopi Goldberg's character doesn't have like much of a role other than yeah. But I like Whoopi in it too. I'm not saying I don't like them. <laughs> I think it's just weird that the movie has these characters 
that... You don't know who they are? They don't like really... Rose, okay, Whoopi Goldberg plays Rose, who is supposed to be the lead writer. But she's, she's like the not... only writer that you see. But like all the stuff that you see in the plot really indicates that David is the writer because he's coming up with all the ideas and then he's telling Rose to do it. And like, like Whoopi slash Rose is only there to say, no, I don't want to do this. This is bullshit. Like, this is stupid. Like, basically say no, 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 no. And then have a couple minor moments with Celeste as a bonding thing because they they go back so far. I think, well, because David's the producer, so he probably just has the final say. Like, he is above Whoopi. She's the lead writer, and she has to be... There's a scene where they're in the writer's room, and that's when you have, like, Ben Stein, who's like, show boobs. Like, he's saying, Mm -hmm. like, very misogynistic things. And Whoopi is, like, shutting everything down. But... It's like David has the final say, even over what Rose writes. Yeah, and I'm just wondering if like her character as a writer is necessary. You could almost combine her role with Terry Hatcher's very limited role as well, and basically yeah. make another actress be the best friend that Celeste has to confide in, while producer-slash-writer David... Or Rose, like, whatever. You know, like, <laughs> combine... Those three roles should be two. Okay. And, like, it would make things a little bit easier and less complicated. It yeah, because you even have Zach, the Gary executive producer. Yeah. Gary Edmund, Marshall, yeah. Edmund Edwards. Yeah, Edmund character. Edwards. So he basically he's has like the, the head of the department. Yeah, he's head of it. He's like... But he's just like, write something. Write something good. I want... Because the ratings are going down. So he's like breathing down David's neck. And it's just like this chain of command going down to like... Whoopi, then like that writing room all the way down to like the actors and actresses. Yeah, I'm just saying I think there's something that gets a little bit lost in the story because there's that extra layer. Even (laughs) though... I enjoy all of the actors involved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Terry Hatcher, she's just the she's, hot one. Yeah, she's <laughs> the, just there just, to be like a little bit of like sex appeal. Yeah, the hot she, actress that just walks up and down the aisles and like hits on people. Like and, she literally doesn't contribute to the plot. But I still like Terry Hatcher in that role. Sure. Like she, she also does want to see Celeste go down too like her yeah but you don't understand why i think maybe because just because of the the jealousy aspect yeah they're like yeah they they were like yeah we want to see america's sweetheart but like her her character and then also paul johansson who plays bolt who is the the on-screen husband of celeste uh maggie is you know they're basically there just to show that this soap opera has more than like three characters in it Right. That's about it. And, and Bolt is funny. He just, Yeah, Bolt is funny. He just comes in and he takes his shirt off and that's pretty much it. And yeah, he's, he's like, meant, like he's, he's, he's supposed to be the muscle. Like he's the, like 10 years younger probably. And he's <laughs> then, like super tan muscular yeah. beefcake guy. Um, yeah, so it's all know. these like typical tropes that you see on a soap opera. Yeah. All right, so... <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Lori is, is being scouted or, or recruited to be the murder victim. 
And the whole idea is that she's not going to talk because that will save them money. They don't mm-hmm. have to pay her the SAG fees or whatever. All right. So they filmed <laughs> A that. A lot happens, right? Yeah, they filmed that scene where Maggie slash Celeste is supposed to... Well, Lori's character, the deaf mute, is supposed to, like, pull out this machete (laughs) on Maggie, which is, like, they're going in a soup kitchen, and she has this giant machete. She pulls it out and grunts, but when Celeste sees that... She's like Lori, and then they have this whole embrace. Yeah, but we don't. They, they didn't see each other, or yeah. they were hidden from each other for whatever reason until the take was being done. Yeah. <laughs> so that becomes yeah. the whole thing. But, but then, then we don't even see how that take goes because then it's Celeste and Lori getting together and Celeste asking why Lori's here. Like, aren't you supposed to be in college? She's. 20 years old she drops out of college to be an actress to be like her aunt celeste yes and then she's like does your grandma and grandpa know they are in iowa or ohio ohio somewhere (laughs) midwest (laughs) not there yeah not in the same state yeah so i think it's ohio yeah, so Lori's just saying, you know, I want to be an actress like you, yada yada. And then Celeste is very kind of like, uh, okay, I guess. But if you're going to do that, you have to live with me. They're very excited. She's very excited that her niece is with her and going to be on the show now. They could, they Now that they know that... Well, because Lori spoke on that take, they now have to like pay her. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. This is exactly where they were like, goes down because they were like, did the deaf mute speak? Yeah, but again, I don't think that was part of the show because like one of the plots at the end when they were on the live thing was that they're gonna like reveal that she could talk for the first time as well. There's a lot that go. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's not enough of the actual show right. in this to really know what's going on on the show plot to help us follow along. It's so, all about this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, so they nixed that whole accidentally killing plot, and now it's just like Celeste's character, Maggie, is now kind of like taking in the deaf-mute homeless girl is like her own i don't that's know. what it seemed I, like like i really don't know that's yeah. the problem like it, in all we really know is that this initial plan completely backfires right and makes all Maggie's these plans keep on backfiring because popular. of what's going on in celeste's life so then that's when they come up with the idea well montana again is mad at david like what the fuck i want to be a star what else can you do? And that's when they bring in Kevin Klein's character. They're like, she, Jeffrey Anderson, they're just like, whatever happened to that guy that she, like, Celeste had an affair with like 20 years ago and they hate each other now. Let's they don't bring know him about back. The, the affair necessarily. Well, they, they were like, he was. They were like America's favorite couple or something. Yeah, they were, shit. they were a couple. So like I don't know 20 years prior. But, um, Celeste got him kicked off the show, and yeah. again, the character was like, killed. and basically ruined his life. And he's just playing mm-hmm. Willie Loman on 
the death of a salesman. But it's at a dinner dudes. theater in, and in like Florida to yeah, a whole bunch of whole, retirees. To a bunch of old people. Hear anything. Right. So, and they so David goes <clears throat> down to Florida to see his show and it's just really bad because Kevin Klein slash Jeffrey Anderson is like the lead of the play, but then he's also like bussing tables and serving tables. It's just like well, a big... Well, un- unintentionally. Yeah, It's yeah, just yeah. because it's... there's so many different disasters and interruptions during that thing. Going on. Like, the waiters are messing up. Like, people are spilling things and distracting, so he's like... Yeah, waiters are, like, fighting in the corner and... And, like, going up at individual tables and, like, yelling his lines at them so they can un- actually hear him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a funny scene. It's a, it's a really good scene. Yeah, so they... <laughs> David approaches him afterwards and is like, do you want to come back on the show? And Jeffrey hates Celeste and he's like, yeah, I want to get back at Celeste. And that's kind of like David is smiling, smirking to himself. He's like, yes, I want to see this go down. And that's when they... Celeste doesn't know... Well, obviously Celeste doesn't know that until they approach each other. Like, yeah, they, his... they talk about his character coming back. It's like, well, who are you going to get to play him? And then she turns around and sees... Him. Because he, he accidentally walks in on, like, David's office while Celeste is in there. Yeah. And she, Celeste faints because she's like what the fuck's going on and throughout this time she's just going rose is like her best friend and just always going to rose and she's smoking cigarettes now even though she's never smoked Mm -hmm. and she's also just like being a total bitch to kathy and jimmy yeah she's tawny miller yeah tawny is the punching bag of the production and i think that's sort of meant to be like Again, sort of like an in-joke of how, like, all these non-actors are kind of, like, the lesser than Right, and, and but... are treated terribly most of the time, even she, though she's but just... But Tom... Kathy, I mean, she's great, and as, like, the... She's... Tough, too. Yeah. Yeah, she's doing everything, because she does the costume, hair, makeup, but also, like, running around doing other stuff. Yeah, just random tasks. <laughs> so she's, like, shitting on Kathy and Jimmy all the time, but... Like, she just takes it, because that's, like, what you do is a lower person on, like, a TV show, unfortunately. Yeah, a lot of of abusive relationships shown in this movie is, like, normalized, (laughs) yes. Yeah. But as as a joke to show how normalized and shitty this is. Yeah. But, I mean, Celeste is just, like, fine, I guess we're gonna go with it. And that's when they do that one scene where he returns and they kiss. Yes. And he's messing up on purpose, and she's, like, getting all hot and bothered by the kiss, and they have to retake and retake and retake, because Jeffrey's messing up on purpose. And yeah, then... which is sort of like a, a mind game thing that he's doing. He's not messing right. up on purpose to kiss her again, because he's enjoying it. He's doing it because he could tell that she was enjoying, enjoying it. She's enjoying it, yeah. And so he was uh, doing that so that afterwards he can say, well, that was... I felt nothing. Okay, it was good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. And then it gets, it's just a lot of animosity until, you know, Lori Craven comes in again and she notices Jeffrey. Like, she's kind of the one that just will, when 
thinks Jeffrey's like a charming man. Well, every, everyone is falling for Jeffrey's charms. Yeah, even you got T- Terry Hatcher's Ariel, which character. Is Terry Hatcher, and yeah. Montana is not because she just has focused vision, tunnel vision on the yeah. revenge. Um, but yeah, but yeah, yeah that's, that's Montana's like, appeal. yeah, you can have him. I don't care. But Ariel doesn't do anything. She just kind of went up to him in the hallway and flirts just him. Basically, flirts, indicates, yeah, come, come to my room, and yeah, I'll show you a good time. Yep. But he doesn't do anything. But we don't see anything. Yeah. But he actually starts to want to date Lori only just to make Celeste mad because he finds out that Lori is Celeste's niece. niece. And then they do, I mean, Montana and David are still weaving this web to ruin Celeste's life. So they do another, they write another scene where it's going to be a scene where Jeffrey's character, Dr. Rod Randall, kisses Laurie Craven's character, Angelique. Yeah. And during... And they also do not... They change this last minute because Celeste is like, oh yeah, I'm not in the scene, so I'm not going to be in it. And also it's behind Rose's back too. Right. Which again sort of indicates how pointless she is as a writer but i think it's the that lead of command where it's like david and then edmund they're like the final say in things i know but that's that also makes her purposeless might as well just eliminate her writer capabilities and like you know okay Mm -hmm. yeah just minor nitpicks anyway we get to the scene and and, uh yeah the, the kiss is about to happen and yeah, Celeste man. So Celeste tears through the stage and stops the kiss. It's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that, and everyone's. And then Lori's even like, you know, I can kiss whoever I want. I'm like a grown woman now, Aunt Celeste. And then that's when Celeste goes into this whole thing about the reason why she made Jeffrey lose his job is because she got pregnant with his child and she thought that her life was going to end so she wanted his life to end and then their daughter is Lori and then then she goes to Lori saying I had to do this to protect because I wanted to have this career still because I was young but I also loved you and just made up this whole story about your parents dying and like I made up this twin sister that didn't even exist right and let your grandma and grandpa raise you in Ohio and that's everyone so Jeffrey and Lori are like stunned by this obviously and they are now dismissive of Celeste both of them yeah, both of them hate Celeste. Um, After this information, and and Lisa Gibbons was there as like a behind the scenes like interview and happens right. to see and then all she, this. She goes to David. And she's like, "Thanks for all of this," and they put it on entertainment tonight. So you can see that the 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 soap opera behind the scenes is really ramping up now. Before it was just like relationship drama, and now it's familial and like made up twins and. You know, yeah, the real drama fake is... Fake identities and all this kind of stuff. The real drama is backstage, not on this show. 
um, situation. So that that story instantly goes public. Yeah, making Lori the new America's sweetheart. She's and... yeah, she's now the it girl, and also honestly, this is something that David and Montana thought would ruin Celeste, but no. Again, it backfires, and everyone loves her even more now because of how open and honest she was. Well, the that... only people who don't, yeah, are I guess a little Jeffrey and Lori. Yeah, but Lori more so. Lori becomes the star, which yeah, Lori becomes the star. Montana now hates because now Lori's all big in her head because she's walking around the hallways like I'm the star now. Kind of, she's being like the new bitch too because even when Montana was in David's office, she's like, "Do you mind?" Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk to David, and that, that I mean, I like. Yeah, instantly gets the big head. Yeah, I, mean, I like Kathy Moriarty as just being like this conniving woman. I wish they would have said a little bit more about like what the plot was for like. So obviously, you want to get Celeste out, but they didn't really talk about how they would install her. You know what I mean? Like they didn't. Yeah, they how didn't to have, yeah. rise her character? Yeah, they didn't into have grand designs fame. of like how to. But that's when she kind of goes stuff, rogue. Which I wish they done. She kind of goes rogue, Montana, and that's when she says she's pregnant with Jeffrey Anderson's baby. Yeah. 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 So she tries to take matters into her own hands and creates this whole other drama. Um, says that she's pregnant and everyone believes her. And. Everyone's you know, mad at her like, now, including... I didn't touch him. I didn't, I, I didn't touch her. Whatever. Um, yeah, so Lori is now pissed at her father, Jeffrey, now, because they're trying to have this relationship where it's a father and daughter now. <laughs> you know what scene we kind of forgot, Celeste. which I think is probably yeah. sort of important to mention, is when Lori and Jeff go on the actual date, mm-hmm. and then they come back to Jeffrey's place, Celeste is trailing them because the big reveal hasn't happened yet to the audience that it's the daughter but that's our first clue to indicate this is probably her daughter not her niece oh and she is climbing outside the top of the outside of his building and has to do like physical comedy when like the railing falls but it's also just to show that she's probably really jealous jealous and overprotective both yes Yeah, yeah of her niece at that time but, but she yeah. doesn't want Lori to sleep with Jeffrey because then that's gross. But again, it's like kind of an interesting scene with... I mean, Kevin Klein has good rapport with virtually every actor that he works with, I think. Yeah. But like, you know, having He's... those two interact with each other in that scene, like be like playful, but like angry and but, yet... Yeah. Like, I don't know, like spiteful, yeah. but... I mean, he's great because then even when he's on this date with Lori, she's like, can you just be real? Yeah. Because he's very... It's like, like, I can tell you've done this hands routine before. Yeah, and coming up with these, like, stupid little sayings (laughs) about, like, it seems as if he's rehearsed all these things to, like, random women, which we should... we saw. (laughs) We saw earlier when he was in the dinner theater because he's with the woman who's Debbie in the movie Singles. Yeah. I can't think of her name. I didn't write her down either. Again, this is a big cast, so I had to focus on it. Yeah. But, yeah, she's falling for it. So we we just see, like, him being, like, this charming guy. But he's saying the same, like, pickup lines to, like, every woman, including Lori. But Lori's, like, no, I can tell. Yeah. Like, you can drop it. Like, she's like, at that point, she's like, I like you, but I just want you to be you. Right. 
But, um, yeah. But, yeah, but even Lori had left, but Celeste didn't know that. And so like Jeff was even teasing. He's like, oh yeah, she's in the bedroom getting undressed mm-hmm. right now. And so yeah. She's, just, just he likes to fuck with Celeste. And, but then they have this, I mean, Jeffrey and Celeste still have this attraction for each other. Cause every yeah. once in a while they'll, they'll get like close, but then something fucked up will happen. And you know, like they try to kiss and that's when Montana bumps in. She's like, oh, yeah, I left something at your apartment. And then Celeste hates him again. Right. And then even Lori hates him because of the whole story that Montana made up about her being pregnant with his baby. Because Lori is just like, why can't you just keep your dick in your pants, basically? Yep. So everyone's mad at each other. And, and... Ariel's mad at Montana because she said that she, he was going to be... You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ariel He was going to be for Ariel and not Montana. So, and then Ariel finds, she goes to Whoopi's, to Rose. That's like, but that's like off camera, mostly, yeah. right? That's like an off camera. That's, yeah, that's the problem. Like some of this stuff just happens off camera. You just well, Ariel's pissed. She, she yeah. has like the. She's been, spur- she's been spurned by Montana now. Right. She goes to Rose for something because she has that yearbook in her arm she's like i need to show you something and then this is when it gets to the big reveal which is which is like at the end of like the big live sequence so right the the live sequence is basically like this big ratings event that edmund gary marshall's character has created because all three of them go to his office and give an ultimatum saying either i stay or or you know or i go and they leave right like you know like one of one of the three gets to stay not all three of us and they all separately go to his office and say that whole thing so his solution was let's create a live tv event we've written a scene the actors are going to read teleprompters and they are going to learn themselves on air who is staying on the show and who is leaving right it's been written for them they have not seen it ahead of time they're reading this and we're all going to learn together on live TV. And it's a big over-the-top plot line where Lori Craven's character, Angelique, the deaf mute, is going to get... She has a rare disease where her, like, her brain is on fire. Like She's going to die in three hours unless she gets a brain transplant. Yeah, like the brain is engorged or something. <laughs> Jeffrey's character on the show is a doctor. He is like... You He's know, from Austria, the character. <laughs> he trained in Austria or Europe or something like that because he keeps on like adding He's saying, different... I, I learned European things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he added a whole bunch of like different... like He changes the language to the, the goodbyes and hellos all the time. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, and, you know, the uh, in, in the show, Lori, I think, was revealed to be Celeste's or Maggie's daughter as well. I still... I don't fully remember. I, that's Because one I, of the failed plot lines was that Montana was going to be Celeste, Maggie's daughter. Yeah. Uh, Celeste's daughter. Even though there's like a five-year age gap between the two. And yes. so they're like, why the hell would that work? And, and David's like, Rose, you're the writer. You figure it out. Right. But then it never really... It never goes anywhere. Yeah. But Montana always brings up, she's like, but mother. And then that's kind of just like... Yeah. Celeste is like, stop it. I don't yeah. know. So yeah, they're having this thing, and then uh, to add more comedy to the scene, Jeffrey does not wear his glasses, and he's reading off the he's prompter like without contacts, and making up big time. a ton of. But it's funny yeah. because he's saying like the most 
random words. It's it's very expected comedy, but it's yeah. still good comedy because of how it's delivered and when the mistakes come. Um, that that's tough to do, and like you can see it coming. Mm. Like we're wearing our glasses, he's not wearing, them. and, and yeah, you know, like, and so like basically what happens is that Maggie's character has to ad lib a whole bunch of stuff. Right. She's because, just like, he's starting. going off the rails a little bit. And so she's, like, trying to bring it into focus again. Mm-hmm. But then also they're ad-libbing on the spot and talking about, well, what about a brain surgery that we can do? And I'll be the donor. Right. Which is completely it's, off script. Because at this point, you know, Lori and Jeffrey and Celeste are all not really speaking to each other. Like, they're all kind of, like, mad at each other for various reasons. And then it turns into this whole thing... Where it's like, it's kind of like Celeste is always going back and forth where she's like, just write me off. Like, she's always, like, every other day she's like, write me off the show. I don't even care anymore. Like, uh-huh. I'm just over it. But then the next day she wants to be the star. So it's yeah, just this whatever. Is, this is all I know. Like, you, you have this scene <clears throat> earlier on. She asks Rose to take her to the mall. Yeah. So that, she, so that Rose can fake recognize her. In order so for a crowd to come around and boost your spirits and like yeah. you know feel the, the love of the people and, and re-energize yeah, because her. she's been doing this for yeah. almost thirty years, it seems. Yeah, and it's like a way you know you can certainly get jaded, and obviously that type of relationship with the world isn't necessarily healthy, but it's enough to get her by, mm-hmm. and that's all you need to know in, in the you know stage. So it kind of just so Celeste as Maggie saying take my brain is a way of saying. Yeah, I want to write me off the show. Yes, yes. I don't care what the prompter says. I am going to do this and make Angelique the starry. Yeah. So Lori sees this, and then you know they all go off script. Yeah. And then that's meanwhile, Rose comes in dressed up as a doctor, along with Terry Hatcher's character Ariel, who is Doctor Monica DeMonaco. Yeah, and Nurse Anne is already there, by the way, because right. she crashed the scene already earlier when they talked about the surgery. And this is all supposed to be taking place in a restaurant. It's in like we're a Chinese they're restaurant. They're yeah. going to do the surgery in the they're, restaurant. She's, they're like, I don't have any tools. And but like, well, Nurse Anne, what are you doing here? Well, I heard there was a surgery or something like that. And then, yeah, yeah just, I brought the tools, but all they only, have is like a knife, and then the thing to like put out the person, like the whatever. But I think it's just like the methane or whatever. I think it's just like a, like a, like a mask. It's, yeah, that's how they used to do it in the old times. But no, no, it's not. A, it's not a gas mask. It's one of those like paper masks, like a surgical mask. Oh, I thought it's it something was... like it's something obviously not medical. No, I thought that's how they did it, like pre ivs and stuff like they would put a little drop of like alcohol or whatever and put it like over chloroform your type of yeah stuff. and but, to make you sleep yeah you could rationalize it that way but i think in general whatever. it's supposed to be like humorous and that this is clearly a prop that wasn't meant to be used for this purpose well, that they're yeah just i mean how are they going to do the surgery by just cutting her head yeah <laughs> you know? well, yeah and again they're With improvising because there was no surgery in the scripts so they didn't have anything available on yeah i mean so, yeah you know, we're just this is how over the top drama it is yeah. with like this little amount. Of, I mean, you can't do a surgery in a restaurant without all like 9 million different tools. Right. But anyway, yeah, Rose comes in like you're saying. And this is like the extreme problematic part of the movie where they out Montana Moorhead for being transgender and Montana was 
really Milton Moorhead from whatever high school and that's and then Montana runs off in horror and you know this is live on live TV yeah everyone filming and then on you don't see like the people the viewers reactions no you don't see viewers at all ever yeah except for like you know asking for autographs you never see them watching Asia right well but everyone you see, you is see David and, shocked and, yeah but even Ro and then Rose just goes off and she's like, I've done my job and Dr. Monica DeMonico slash Ariel slash Terry Hatcher is happy about it because she was like pissed about Montana making up this rule. But basically say, not rule, this rumor about being pregnant. And then she's like, therefore she can't be pregnant because she doesn't have... A uterus, right? Basically, yeah. And that's where like Montana runs off. But that's the most problematic thing in the movie, which that was a trope in, I guess, a lot of TV shows. I there is a lot of. I mean, even in movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's for, very po- problematic about just dehumanizing and then demonizing trans people. Here, here's my thought on the whole thing. Right. Uh, well, first off, I just want to quickly say just like this was that's basically like, this the a, very end of the movie. We should just say like that's like a trigger warning for people yeah, who I, find this sensitive. Yeah. Here, here's here's my thing because this is this doesn't go as far as something like Ace Ventura does a couple years later. Yeah, Ace Ventura, they do... They this, really... They go over the top. And then they even play the crying game song. Yeah, I think, honestly, like... It's problematic, for sure. I think, within the context of a soap opera and trying to throw every little twist and turn at the audience as you possibly can, this is another one that they thought of. And in the 90s, it wasn't something that was... Had, a you know, problem. Yeah, had the same problems, and so let's just toss it in there. Yeah, that there was always just like um, a storyline in random TV shows. Right. I don't want to say back then, but like in the yeah. 80s and 90s, I did see it a lot. Yeah, it, it definitely occurred um, where, you know, even just jokes about that type of thing right. was a lot more common. I think part of what makes it more troubling in this case is that you still have that joke, quote-unquote, of David seeing that reveal and then gagging in his own mouth. Yeah, you it's... Don't, you don't need that, but it's an easy joke that pretty much everyone takes. And again, Ace Ventura takes it much, much further. Oh, yeah. If it didn't have that, then it'd be a little bit more easy to say, oh, yeah, this is just, like, a stupid byproduct of the time. Maybe. But... I don't know. Like, there's also that obvious like implication of the other being the villain. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't know. Um, I don't think that's fully gone away at yeah. all. I mean, even look at like a more recent example, uh, the, the the newest Fast and the Furious movie with Jason Momoa's character. Okay. Like he is basically the other as well, where he is like the most villainous character that that series has had, right? Yeah, but he's kind of But he's, like, like flamboyant, and he paints his nails, and he does all these, like, sexually ambiguous things. And that's, like, same type of thing. 
Okay. This was like a throwaway, not a throwaway line. I don't know. I'm just saying like, it's like these subtle jabs still happen. Um, Yeah. And I was going to talk about this later, but I guess I'll do it now. There's a documentary called Disclosure that it came out in the beginning of the pandemic because I watched it like in March or April of 2020 and it's a documentary it's just like an eye-opening look about transgender depictions in film and television just revealing how Hollywood simultaneously like they reflect and how they man- manufacture the gender I- anxieties and norms on like shows and they it was mostly hosted by Laverne Cox but it you know they interviewed like the Wachowskis there's a lot of the actors and actresses from Pose in there like Chaz Bono they Uh speak to you but it's their reactions to movies and TV shows and how trans people were depicted back then up until almost now as being villainous yeah they're always villainized, like the the villain, or they were just ridiculed and they were looked as like not human, or demonized. And they talk about like the crying game. They even talk about because oh, sure. even when they reveal that, the guy when he sees the penis, you know, he he goes to the bathroom, and starts throwing up. Yeah. But they still have a love story. Yeah. And then they also talk about boys don't cry. Like, even in the Jeffersons, there was a trans... Oh, was there? Yeah. I never person. saw the Jeffersons at all. They it, it was very interesting, and I don't know, I would rewatch it again. Because they even talk about, like, in the L word, too. Just, they tried to go all the way up to, like, the most recent times about how trans people were depicted throughout movie and TV's history. I just think it, 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 I, that definitely sounds like it's worth a watch. I, I, I just I think that this movie would have been a little bit better at the end if David still would have run off with Montana, right? Because like at the, in the beginning, like why why not just have that happen too? That's also soap opera-y. right? It, you know, because then at the like very... instead of him being disgusted by the reveal, he was disgusted, about... but then he went. When he went up to Montana, he's like, should I call you Milton? But then that was, like, it. And then at the very, very... Milton is now hosting the dinner theater in the same area. Yeah, at the very end, this is supposed to be a joke, but it's like... you don't see Milton, you just see the marquee. Yeah, it just says on the marquee where Jeffrey Anderson was Willie Lomax... Loman. Loman. Why do I see Lomax? (laughs) I don't know. Willie Loman is now played by Milton Moorhead in Death of a Salesman. Like, that's supposed to be the joke. And then at the very end of the movie is, like, the next year for their daytime TV show awards where Celeste, Jeffrey Anderson, and Laurie Craven, they all win for Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actress. Yeah. I mean, like, David's character is always saying, like, how he's oddly attracted. There's, like, hints of her being... Yeah, he's like, I don't know why I'm attracted to you, because I usually like skinny, young, waifish women or something. And Montana, she's, like, a very tall, like, broad-shouldered, and 
Like very. And she says, you know, if you get rid of her, then Mister Fuzzy is yours. Like there's these little. Yeah, there's little there. tiny things. That's kind of like an Ace Ventura too. Yeah. Where it's like your gun is sticking in my hip. Those yes. types of those types of jokes. Where it's like when alluding you know, you know. to what's gonna happen. But I mean, I think it just would have been a little, slightly less problematic, you know, if 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 David would have just run away with her more obviously. But he doesn't. He's he's there partying at the end. Yeah. So I mean, he's the producer. He wants money. Yeah. So, whatever. That's 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 one thing. That's just one thing. In in the grand scheme of the movie, it's still enjoyable. But you have problems, just like a lot of '90s movies have problems. So, you got like Bill and Ted with, you know, homophobic slurs just sort of mingled in. Yeah. So there's, it, it's a product of the times, and it's up to you as to how much you want to accept. Uh, so let's quickly go into cast and crew. I'll try to run through this as quickly as possible. We've covered through a lot of these people before, like Sally Field and Kevin Klein and Carrie Fisher. Um, Michael Hoffman is the director. He is a grand jury nomination from Sundance Film Festival for Restless, Nav- Restless Natives and Promised Land. He is a spirit nomination for The Last Station. He's also directed Restoration, One Fine Day, and Midsummer Night's Dream. Robert Harling is one of the writers. He did the play and the screenplay for Steel Magnolias, with also Sally Field. Uh, he did First Wives Club, Eving Star, Laws of Attraction, Andrew Bergman, the other writer. BAFTA nominated for Blazing Saddles, which obviously he co-wrote, did not write alone. Also a Razzie winner for writing and directing Striptease. He's also done Fletch, Oh God, You Devil, and Honeymoon in Vegas. Kathy Moriarty is Montana Moorhead, Oscar Golden Globe, BAFTA nominated for Raging Bull. She also uh, had a big break from acting for a while because of an accident that waylaid her. Uh, but she came back around this time. This is like she credits this movie as like resurging her career and as one of her favorite roles. So with all the problematic stuff around it, she still, you know, credits it with, you know, reviving her. Uh, she's been in White of the Eye, Kindergarten Cop, Matinee, Another Stakeout, Another Midnight Run, and Analyze That. Terry Hatcher is Ariel Maloney, Emmy-nominated and Golden Globe winner for Desperate Housewives. Saturn-nominated for Tomorrow Never Dies. Razzie-nominated for Heaven's Prisoners and Two Days in the Valley. She was in Love Boat, Tango and Cash, Lois and Clark, where she played Lois. And then in 1991, she's also in Dead in the Water and uh, a TV show called Sunday Dinner, which I don't think we've covered, but it was very short-lived. Robert Downey Jr. is David Barnes, Oscar-nominated for Chaplin, and also Tropic Thunder. I didn't realize he was Oscar-nominated for Tropic Thunder. Yeah, he was. Emmy-nominated and Golden Globe winner for Ally McBeal, Golden Globe winner for Sherlock Holmes, and also nominated for Oppenheimer, which he may win. We don't know yet. Uh, Razzie-nominated for Doolittle, MTV Award winner for Best Fight Scene for Avengers, Best Hero for Avengers Endgame, also MTV nominations for Iron Man, Sherlock, uh, he's been in things like Tough Turf, Weird, <laughs> weird Science. Uh, he was a cast member on SNL for a season, Less Than Zero, Heart and Souls, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and a ton of other stuff. Uh, Paul Johansson played Bolt. He was a Daytime Emmy Award winner for writing The Incredible Mrs. Ritchie. He was a soap opera actor on Santa Barbara. He was also on Beverly Hills 90210, talking about Aaron Spelling. Uh, He was in Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Lonesome Dove, One Tree Hill. In 1991, he's in Martial Law 2, Undercover. Elizabeth Shue played Laurie Craven, Oscar Golden Globe, 
BAFTA-nominated and Spirit Award-winning role in Leaving Las Vegas. She uh, was in The Karate Kid, Adventures in Babysitting, Cocktail, Back to the Future 2 and 3, where she became the new Jennifer, uh, Hollow Man, CSI, The Boys, Cobra Kai, and she's also in 1991's The Marrying Man. Whoopi Goldberg we've seen once briefly in House Party 2, but this is like her only major role um, for the most part here. Oscar nominated for Color Purple, winner for Ghost, Golden Globe nominated for Sister Act, Grammy Award winner for Best Comedy Recording, MTV Movie Award nominations for Sister Act 1 and 2, Razzie nominations for Telephone, Bogus, Eddie, Theodore, Rex, Emmy Award winner and nominated for The View, nominated for Hollywood Squares. She's on so much crap. She's like... Well, she's in EGOT, right? No. She's not? No. Yes, sorry. Anyway, my, my whole focus was I didn't even look at the Tony side of things because I just assumed that she wasn't. Um, but yeah, like so much TV stuff comedy stuff she was in comic relief different world she hosted academy awards she hosted tony awards she was in star trek next generation she did voiceover work she was in bagtag cafe around 1991 as well <laughs> so much to talk about with her but we just don't have time kathy and jimmy we've seen in other people's money and the fisher king already as well um so yeah we got that and then gary marshall as edmund edwards will be our last one here we talk about bafta nominated for pretty women uh razzie nominated for new year's eve he was a director of 1991's Frankie and Johnny, writer and creator of, you know, writer for The Tonight Show with Jack Parr, uh, Dick Van Dyke Show, Lucy Show. He's also created Love American Style, Odd Couple, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, Shirley Happy Days. Just monstrous career. So many people with all kinds of credits all involved here. In terms of awards, all we got is one Golden Globe nomination for Kevin Klein, and then Academy Comedy Awards nominations for Klein, Sally Field, Whoopi Goldberg, and Kathy Moriarty. Whew. With that, we move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, I'm going to make this quick. Um, this movie was released on May 31st, 1991, which was a Friday, and it was the same release date as Pit and the Pendulum. Okay. <laughs> Which I think only hit like one theater or something. Yeah, it's like, uh, that it was mostly very limited. Video. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things besides talking about that disclosure documentary, I found out that this was going to be a Broadway Broadway play, and then it's possibly in the works of becoming a TV show. So uh, just a few articles that I read. This is starting in 2016 and 17. This is on broadwayworld.com and whatsonstage.com. On the articles, it was saying that Kristen Chenoweth will is in the work in the works to be in this possible Broadway show for Soap Dish. And it was workshopped in 2010, and they were working on a rehearsal reading in New York in 2012, where it was Chenoweth along with Jane Krakowski. She's Jane probably would have been the Montana Moorhead. Right, that makes sense. And it would have a UK premiere. That was as of 2017. But then I tried to look it up to see what happened, and it was going to be created by these composer, these British composers. I don't know anything about like musical theater, but 
Styles and Drew. Nope. So George Styles and Anthony Drew, they are collaborators that have been working together for about 30 years. They're both British composers and like lyricists. They do their own renditions of random story like Peter Pan, Mary Poppins. They did like the Three Little Pigs, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. They like do stuff like that in the UK. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything has come to the United States. But according to their website, stylesanddrew.com, they did a feature a soap dish Broadway in for the UK MT Fest. MT is Musical Theater Fest. And this is in 2020. It was in February 2020 where they did this in London. But it seemed like it was only a one-month show. So they did the Broadway show, but it was not with Kristen Chenoweth or Jane Krakowski. It was a whole different cast playing these people in Soap Dish. And they did work along with the writer, uh, Bobby Harling, to create this play slash Broadway show. So it became a musical adaptation? Yes. Okay. But not... I, I, the, the Kristen Chenoweth, Jane Krakowski thing doesn't look like it's happening because I haven't seen anything since. I mean, that was, what, a decade that, ago, so probably not, yeah. It was like six years ago, so they were probably like... I mean, even after the pandemic, they were probably like, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. But I'm just curious how they did it, you know? Yeah, it it exists. Like, the writing is there, right? If they produced and actually performed it for a month, then... Yeah. And then later on, other articles I saw that on tvline.com and then deadline.com they are this is as of January 2022 they are now in the works this is with Paramount Plus in the works to make a TV show with Whoopi to reprise as her role as Rose Schwartz and Whoopi is the executive going to be the executive producer for this show along she's gonna also gonna work alongside the producers with Jane the Virgin and American Horror Story to make a juicy so this is a quote juicy soapy and twisty dramedy ensemble for soap dish to come out on Paramount Plus but this is as of two years ago now and I haven't seen anything else and then so strange. Okay. <laughs> maybe two days after that, January 12, 2022, there was an article that came out on bleedingcool.com. These are like, you know, these are not like hardcore reliable sources, but uh, this is just an article saying that there's going to be a soap dish TV series, but are they going to leave out the transphobia that's in the movie so it was just yeah it's an it's just an article calling out what we just talked about the transphobic message at the end like 
and addressing to Whoopi Goldberg, like, is this going to happen in the TV show if you are to make a TV show? I mean, if you make it a TV show, I don't know how you're going to make it ongoing drama. Like, it's just, like, behind the scenes and then also on-scene drama of a fictitious soap opera. Like you have to get old quick because a lot of the appeal of this movie, honestly, is the pacing of it. Like everything just happens. Snap, snap, snap. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to continue along with just like more drama. I mean, you can just have the characters names, but just to do totally different storylines all together. It'll be kind of like, I don't know, you know how they adapted High Fidelity into a TV series? Yeah, I mean... That um, worked better than I thought it would. Yeah, they did a good job and... Even though it didn't get to fully resolve. Yeah. But, like, this, I feel like if you drag it out into a season or more, like, if you're talking TV show, you have to be thinking multiple seasons. Yeah. So then you're going to be really slowing shit down to an unbearable pace. Or just use the characters and hear something completely brand new and you might as well not even have the name anymore. Right. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put Soap Dish? Um, I mean, I'm going to give this movie a three. Three? I think that's fair. I, yeah. It, mm. Again, like I think I'm like hurt a little bit because I watched it just a couple years back. I remember enjoying it more then. Like two years ago? Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, again, like, I I remembered most of the jokes. I remembered most of the beats. And that's, I don't know, you you need that. It's like, sort of skipping ahead to the other question, like, would I watch it again? Probably not for, like, another decade, because I need to have that distance to, you know, lose that memory of it to make it better. Um... Gosh, I, I'll probably say it's it's definitely better than Delirious. It's, like, way better than Delirious. I'll say it's, like, a three out of four. Okay, wow. I don't know. Like, it's... We didn't really talk about a lot of the, the filmmaking aspects because we just sort it's of, like, very... ran out of time. Like, it's it's well made with, like, a lot of interesting camera work, too. Right, and then the, the way that they made the set... The sun also yeah with like the rolling sets. wave yeah. mechanics just, thing which is like very simple but it's fun it is, but it's funny and and then everything is always orange or red tones yeah. like, there's a lot of thought that went into like the production of this and, and I, think I think it's, it's because it's of having Aaron Spelling yeah and I, Gary think Marshall, I think it's because of having that, you know having yeah having of, like Aaron Spelling producing it just to roll that all along to make it a good movie. I mean, everyone's great in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just wish there was, like, maybe, like, a, a couple less characters or maybe consolidation of some things to make it slightly less busy. But the busyness also does work in its favor at times. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Three yeah, out of four. Yeah, it's very fast-paced, and you're kind of, like, got whiplash. Like, if you're watching this for the first time, you're like, huh, what, huh? Mm-hmm. But just knowing what's going on is fine. Yeah. And there's a Game Boy sighting. Yeah. At one point. So, you know, there's... Someone on someone, set. Someone on set playing a Game Boy after, like, the, the knock on the door or whatever. Um, every movie's worth watching once, would you watch it again? 
Yeah, but same with you. Like, I don't need to see this immediately. But, I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, I mean, this was a movie. Like, whenever it was on, I would just watch... Like, no matter what point in time in the movie was, I would just watch the rest of it. So that's kind of like how... Like, if I saw it on, I'd be like, Oh, this is like a background movie. Yeah. I would leave on because I know everything already yeah. and I would just like stop and laugh <laughs> for certain scenes and then like go about my day that's kind of like how it would be yeah I definitely understand that um but yeah for me I don't have that nostalgia but I'll give it a few more years and then maybe again uh however if you out there do want to watch Soap Dish as of this recording in January 2024 it's available on Max Showtime Digital Rental VHS or DVD as always check your local listings as for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies, long show notes, and more. Next week, we're watching Switch. That's on Max, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.